the musical, whatever, all right? Truth here, I have not read this entire book yet. I've started it like five times. Um, it's a great book, but uh, Victor Hugo is quite wordy and sometimes mundane, and I get kind of bored, and then I, five years later I start over and I forget what happened. But here's a story that he tells, and I guess you've seen the movie, but I want to kind of just give some uh, preview to it, and we're actually show a clip from this. Because what we're going to talk about today is, we've been talking about, just last few weeks, just generosity. Of course, we're talking later today about financial generosity. But last week, I talked about the generosity um, that comes from a heart of forgiveness. And God seems to care a great deal about that kind of generosity. And I firmly believe that your and my financial generosity only comes when that kind of generosity is part of our lives. Their generosity of forgiveness. And last week, we talked about forgiving others. And I even had little pieces of paper you could write down names of people that you felt like God was asking you to forgive. So uh, the story of Les Mis is about a man named John Valjean. When he was 24 years old, uh, unmarried, he was helping take care of his sister's family. Uh, she was a widow, uh, widow. She had seven kids, um, not much money. He stole a loaf of bread, broke a window, stole a loaf of bread, was given five years, pretty harsh sentence. Five years in prison, tried to escape a number of times. His sentence was expended to the 19 years. So here's a man, a felon, who uh, life was not going well for him. He had been really, you could argue, he was treated unjustly. I think it's one of the things that Hugo's trying to get us to think about. How do, you, how do human beings respond when treated unjustly by the world? And my guess is every one of us could raise our hand and say, yeah, I've been treated unjustly at times. But he's been treated unjustly. He finally gets out of prison. But in those days, in the day, in that day in France, if you were a, a felon, you had to carry this yellow passport, which was kind of like this huge mark that said "ex-con," and couldn't get couldn't get work. Um, he goes to this small town. Wants to stay in the inn to get just a place to sleep. This is four days after he's been let out of jail. He's tired. He's hungry. They say, oh, yeah, we got a room for you. we got a room and a meal. And then there's some whispering going on, and they find out, oh, he's, he's a felon. Oh, no, we don't have any more rooms tonight, Mr. Valjean. So he goes to another inn, the, the low-quality inn, you know, kind of the Motel 8 or whatever it is, you know, and asks, hey, do you have a room, room for me and, and a meal? I'm really hungry and I'm tired. Yeah, we do, we do. And then, of course, they find out there's some whispering goes on, and he's a felon. And so here this guy who's already incredibly embittered to the world because of his unjust treatment, is just getting angry. He goes to a house, knocks on the door, they turn him away because they, figure, they realize he's a felon. He actually, in the book, this didn't know it shows the movie, and he actually at one point finds this open door in a small shed and goes there and lays in there and realizes he's laying in a doghouse, and the, even the dogs chase him out. So the world is not treating him well. He's angry at the world, he's bitter, He's got a hard heart because he's been mistreated justly, and frankly, he blames it a lot on God. Now, I'm, I'm stopping here for a second because my guess is every one of us, uh, every one of us has a story that's similar to John Valjean. Not, not in prison, not in prison 19 years. Some maybe have had those kind of hardships, but every one of us has been mistreated um, in those ways, and every one of us has done other things that have hurt other people in those ways as well. So there's what happened then. He, he finally gets so exhausted, he just lays on a bench in the city square, and some old lady says, what are you doing? He says, well, I can't find a place to sleep. I've knocked on every door in town. Nobody will give me a place to sleep. And she said, you didn't knock on that door. And she points to the door that was the home of the Catholic bishop in town, the Bishop of Digny. 
Um, and when you read the way that Hugo describes the Bishop of Digny, incredibly godly man, gentle, kind, uh, lover of Jesus. Now, the, the women that they're the, 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 the staying in the home, that he has his sister stays with him. And so they, they've heard about this dangerous man in town, and they're really concerned and uptight. And, and, all, and then they have this knock on the door, and it's this dangerous man, and the bishop just tells the guy, hey, come in. And the man just says, Val John says right away, I'm a felon, I'm dangerous, nobody will take me, I'm hungry, can you give me some food? But, and, the, and the priest says, sure, we'll set another place at the table for you. And Val John's like, did you hear me? I'm a felon, I'm a dangerous man. Yeah, set another place at the table. And he tells his sister, go make that bed with brand new sheets on it. Val John has slept in a bed for 19 years. So uh, he has dinner. Valjean hasn't eaten a regular meal like that in 19 years. He sleeps in a bed. He can't, he wakes up after four hours because he said he never slept more than four hours in the last 19 years because you don't sleep well in prison. He gets up and in response to the generosity and kindness of the bishop at Digny, he decides to steal the silver they used at dinner that night. Not only that, when the bishop is roused and wakes up and tries to figure out what's going on, he punches the bishop to knock him out because he's going to steal this stuff. So here this John Valjean, he's going to continue this life of anger, bitterness, and feel like somebody owes him something. In response to the generosity of this godly man, he uh, steals his stuff, hits him, and then runs away. The clip picks up with the bishop talking with his sister. They're upset about, she's upset about things getting stolen. And then the police bring Valjean back. Because um, they've caught him. They figure they've caught him and they bring him back. Now, just for a second, I want you to all kind of envision yourself being Jean Valjean. You spent 19 years in hard labor. You've hated your life. It's been hard and bitter. You thought you had a chance when you stole this stuff and now you're caught. So the rest of your life, you may be stuck in that same dark rut. All right? So let's watch what happens here. Smooth. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank and... God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gino, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. 
I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. I love, I love Liam Neeson anyway. I love, in the very end there, that look on his face. And when, it's my favorite part of this book of the few pages I've read. It's my favorite part of this book, and I was rereading it yesterday, because it talks about after this happened, you know what, you know what Valjean did? He was so disoriented, because no one's ever treated him that way before. It said he was, he actually found himself walking, running around in town, a town in circles because he was so disoriented, he didn't even know where he was. And he said he felt this strange tenderness inside of him. He didn't know whether to be angry or cry. He didn't know what to do because he's never been treated that way before. He felt like he didn't know if he had just been humiliated or forgiven. He didn't know. And, he's, uh, and then the next thing he does, the very next day, he steals the equivalent of a nickel from a poor street boy. And you think, come on, look what this guy just did for you. Gave you your life back and gave you all this. And, you're and then he breaks down and he cries for the first time in 20 years because he realizes, is there something about me that maybe can change? Because this generosity of this godly man who gave him not just forgiveness, but gave him more than what forgiveness would demand. And if you know the story, and I think... He, the way Hugo tells it, um, Valjean becomes an incredibly generous man. Not just financially, although he is financially generous, but generous with his heart and his spirit and a, and a spirit of forgiveness toward others. Here's the phrase this morning. I'm going to look at a couple, just one short Bible verse this morning. And here's what I want you to realize. I, last week, the challenge was how do you become the bishop of dignity and forgive other people generously, the people that have hurt you? This week, though, how do, you, how do we grow in our understanding of God's generosity toward us? Because most of us, self-included, I don't think we get that. We know that's true. We know God forgives us, but most of us still live in this world of tit for tat. And so we're not quite sure if we understand the generosity of the forgiveness of God. Isaiah chapter 55 What's been happening, and, and we've, if you've been here the last few months, we've been talking to the book of Daniel, and we're not doing that today, but in Daniel, the whole story is God's people are in exile. They're way over in Babylon, the equivalent of modern-day Iraq. They're kicked out of their homeland because God was punishing them for their sin. And the book of Isaiah, Isaiah's writing to those in exile, and he's telling them, this is, this is what God wants to do for you. He's telling them about how God wants to have a relationship with them. And kind of reminding them, the reason you're stuck where you are is because you kind of got stuck in this resisting God and not listening. And, and at one point, here's what Isaiah says, and I'll just read a few verses. Seek the Lord while you can be found, while he can be found. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, and this is the phrase I love, for he will forgive Let's say that last word with me. Generously. Say the last line with me again. For he will forgive generously. Most of us believe God will forgive. 
And that simply means tit for tat, even. Remember, the, Jesus said to the, to the people, well, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Because it, the, the common thought was then, and I think still is now, is forgiveness means we break even. So if I hurt my wife in a conversation, I just need to say I'm sorry, and we call it, we call it even. And, and we, we tend to have this mentality of break even. And we think forgiveness means we're not going to hold it against you. And it does mean that. But the kind of forgiveness God talks about toward us, not only will he not hold it against us, he becomes generous toward us. It's a whole different way of thinking about forgiveness. We tend to think of forgiveness of, okay, I guess the penalty's erased. And it's true. When we're forgiven, the penalty of the interpersonal relationship being blocked is now eliminated. There is relationship again with God. But what Isaiah is saying and what all the scripture attests to, God doesn't just forgive and say, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to punish you. That's okay. You're forgiven. He turns around then and gives us the candlesticks too. Remember the story of the prodigal son? It's a story the Pharisees hated when Jesus told it because Jesus was telling the Pharisees, you guys don't get God. You think you get him. You think God is one of these gods who when you do wrong, you have to appease him. And if you work hard enough and climb the ladder hard enough in your spiritual behaviors, then you'll finally be accepted by God. And be honest with me, some of us, self-included, we live our lives that way. Well, I got to kind of messed up, so I hope, hope I can win my favor back with God. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son who had stolen things from his father, took his inheritance, disgraced his father. He comes home. At best, the Pharisees thought what God was like was this. God would be like, what do you have to say for yourself? Well, Father, I'm sorry. I kind of wasted your money and sinned against you, and will you forgive me? And the father would say, yeah, I forgive you. Sure. Let me have you a hug or whatever. But you know what he says? No, I forgive you. And hey, let's throw a party for this guy. And the Pharisees were getting irate at that point. In the same kind of irateness that Jean Valjean was getting irate. Like, I, that's not how forgiveness, that, 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 that's not how it's supposed to work. Because what, what God is saying through Isaiah, what Jesus is saying over and over in the Gospels is, God forgives generously. Not even generously. Now, let me, let me ask this question of you and of me. We all believe that's true. At least most of us do. Believe it. My guess is most, if not all of us, could not say we've experienced that and we live our lives that way. Here's a couple ways to tell whether you believe by your actions and deepest in your being that God forgives you generously. Uh, Two, two ways. One, how do you respond to your own sin? Even when you confess to God, and my, again, if I know some of you and I know my own heart, we still kind of have these self-condemning thoughts. Oh, so stupid. I was stupid I did that. Or I'm a, I'm a horrible dad. Or I, I can't believe I'm a bad mom. Or I can't believe I said that again. Here I did it again. I can't believe I did that again. If those kind of thoughts, those self-condemning thoughts, which we're all very good at, if those run in your mind constantly, or at least occasionally, or even once in a while, then although you, like me, believe this is true, 
it's not changed you yet. Or another test to see whether you believe God forgives you generously is how do you forgive others who've hurt you? Do you forgive them generously? You know, when your husband or your wife or your mom or your dad or your son or your daughter or your friend or whatever does something that bugs you, irritates you, or they even sin against you, is your response to them generous or was it kind of like, I can't believe they did it again. I suppose I should forgive them because God tells me to. So yes, I forgive you. But then you kind of withhold yourself from them for a while because that's how human beings practice forgiveness. We're a little bit cautious, a little bit tentative, and to be honest, we're a little bit punitive in our forgiveness. Well, they have to kind of win my favor back because that hurt what they did to me. And we tend to then think, well, God must be the same way. God, I know God calls it even, but God's got to feel a little punitive toward us. And Jesus says in the book of Isaiah, says, no, he doesn't. Because what Isaiah says, you turn back to me is what God, when you turn back to me, I will forgive you generously. Generously. And we live these lives of self condemnation and the word should dominates our spiritual vocabulary well i know i should read the bible more well i know i should pray more i know i should have prayed more about that i know i should probably be kinder to people i know and those are all true statements but if you're living your life in the world of i know i should i know i should i know i should i know i should can i tell you what you're doing because i this is me too you're really thinking that god is a god that has to be appeased almost like a pagan culture need to appease the gods because if I do the right things, I'll appease him and he won't be mad at me anymore. Because our experience of human forgiveness often is we just want to get the person not to be mad at us anymore. And so if the word should dominates your vocabulary as you talk about your spiritual life, yes, there's things we can grow and God would say we want, he wants to do, but he wants that to come from a desire of a heart, not a should. It's like if I, it's like if I said to my wife, I was telling her this last night, you know, I said, it's like if I said to my wife, well, yeah, I know, I, sh- I should buy you flowers more often. I mean, think that really wins her heart over? And actually, when I said it to her, she said, well, you should. I was like, okay, okay, that's not the point. But we understand in relationships, if it's driven by should, then it's not a really good relationship. It's not life-giving. And that probably tells you and tells me that we really don't believe that God forgives me generously. If there's nothing else... Uh, and, and so the, the question is this. I was having breakfast with a friend of mine this week, and we weren't talking about this statement, but something like it. I said, okay, so that's, I believe it's true in my head, but I don't feel like it's part of, it etched in my life yet. What do I do? Do I just believe harder? Do I kind of recite this as a mantra so I get a bumper sticker? What, what, what helps me understand this? And, and our, our combined, combined conclusion was simply, well, the only way we can become those kind of people who actually live the generosity of God toward ourselves and toward others is we have to kind of take our hands off our lives and tell God, God, I want to be that kind of person. So God, whatever you want to do, whatever you need to lead, whatever experience you need to lead me through, God, whatever you want to do, because you're the surgeon, God. You're the one who can do our hearts, fix our hearts. We can't do it ourselves. So the application of this sermon is not try harder. Accept the forgiveness of God. Yes, you do need to accept it, but it's not just a mental, okay, believe, believe, believe. Uh, it's not that. It's more of saying, God, I don't know if I understand your generosity toward me. I want to. So God, would you show me that? Would you show me 
the generosity of your forgiveness for me because I know my goofiness. I know my sins. I know the condemning thoughts I have about myself. But God, I want to know this. I'll finish Ephesians chapter 1. I think on the slide I have it wrong. I have Ephesians chapter 7. There is no Ephesians chapter 7 for those of you Bible purists. Um, I don't know what I was thinking when I saw it on my slide this morning. I didn't have time to change it. But this is what the Bible tells us about God and how God has expressed himself through Jesus. So we praise. Well, let's read up there. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with wisdom and understanding. It doesn't simply say, well, he's just removed the punishment of our sin. Yes, he's done that. That's part of forgiveness. But God's forgiveness is not just removing the penalty. It's now I'm going to shower on you kindness, wisdom, understanding. If nothing else, for those of you who have a hard time being open or vulnerable about your sin with others or with God, understand that this is the God you're coming to. You're not coming to a God who's going to be, all right? God loves when people turn back to him. He loves when people are vulnerable and confess sin to him. He loves it. So for Christmas, would you be open to accepting these gifts from God? And, I, and as we talk in a few minutes here about money and the generosity of money, the generosity of your life with money will be completely dependent upon how you understand this. Some people will give money out of obligation and duty, but God's heart is, I want you to be generous because you un- you've experienced my generosity. Let me pray. God, we, uh, I know there are people here because I'm here. <laughs> I know there are people here like me who, who live in this uh, hunger to understand your generous, extravagant, over-the-top, outlandish way you forgive us. That you don't just remove the penalty, you actually pour over us kindness and wisdom and understanding. So God, I pray for every single person here this morning, and I pray that even this week, even this Christmas season, that our experience of Christmas and Jesus will be way more than nostalgia. It'll be way more than emotionalism. But we're going to invite you, Jesus, to express through some, whatever way you need to in these next few weeks, express to us your generosity of your forgiveness toward us. And would you deliver us from the chains of duty? Would you deliver us from the chains of self-condemnation? God, if we have sin in our lives, would you help us give that strength and courage to confess to you? But when we've lived in openness toward you, would you deliver us from the chains of duty, self-condemnation, and in the ways in which we condemn others in our subtle, spiritually arrogant ways because God we don't want to be those kind of people we want to express and live out the generosity of Jesus toward others and we want to experience and understand the generosity of Jesus toward us and we ask this all in the name of Jesus Amen